This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN. This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer. All right, Pat O'Keefe in for the guys tonight here on 98.7 ESPN New York. Wednesday night in New York City. Crazy weather day. Second straight night. A Mets game gets uh, wiped out at City Field. This time, at least, they called it in a, a somewhat timely manner. Uh, so we have another doubleheader tomorrow at City Field. This time, also, unlike yesterday, uh, we got a game in at City Field. And what a game it was, and what an important game it was, and, and what a terrific day in New York baseball it was. Because we've got two teams in pennant races right now. That doesn't happen every year. Look, it, it seems like the Yankees are always in some sort of a pennant race. And, you know, the Mets are about 50-50. But if you really sit down and think about it, it's rare. Here we are, middle of August. Both the Yankees and the Mets are playing really unbelievably important games night in and night out. Because not only are both of them in a pennant race right now, but both of them through shoddy play at some point this season the Yankees earlier on and the Mets most recently both of those teams have pretty much eliminated any margin for error and that was more like it on Wednesday for both of those teams coming off a rough a rough Tuesday on the New York baseball scene rough in the sense that the Mets were uh, suspended at City Field the night before trailing three to one looked like they were headed for their fifth consecutive loss and the Yankees in Kansas City played one of their ugliest games of the season last night losing to the Royals eight to four let's start with the Mets the Yankees bounced back in Kansas City with a five to two win we'll get into them plenty six uh, pitchers it was a bullpen day for the Yankees. Six pitchers combining to hold the Royals to two runs. Yankees got three runs in the first inning, and that ended up being enough. But the Mets, I can't emphasize enough how big of a win this was. 8-7 at City Field in what at the time was game one of a doubleheader over the Washington Nationals. I mean, think about this. The Mets hadn't won a game in a week. They hadn't won a game since last Wednesday. Coming into today, August 11th, by the way, one win in the month of August, coming into today. And then you roll into City Field, top of the second inning as the game resumes. You're down 3-1, to one, which quickly became 4-1. to one. After that, you don't get a good performance from Rich Hill, who was picking up the baton from Carlos Carrasco, who pitched the first inning yesterday before the game was suspended. And for once, the offense had to pick up the pitching, and the offense did pick up the pitching. And this is what I've been calling for for weeks from the Mets. The Mets spent 90 consecutive days atop the National League East. The biggest reason for that was their pitching picking up their hitting. Night after night after night. Now, the hitting would chip in every once in a while because it seemed during the first two, two and a half months of the season when the Mets were rolling and they seemed to have a somewhat comfortable lead in the National League East, even though the hitting wasn't there consistently, they usually seem to be there in the big spot. But now that's gone by the wayside the last couple of weeks, the last couple of months. And not only has the hitting in general gone by the wayside, clutch, consistent, or otherwise, but the pitching has gone by the wayside. And the most notable example of that is the absence of Jacob deGrom, the performance of Taiwan Walker, Rich Hill, 
Carlos Carrasco. I mean, you're really not getting much out of your rotation right now. Marcus Stroman's been more good than bad. Tyler McGill has been much better than you could have expected. And that's about it. But the offense has to carry the load right now. It's, it's as simple as that. The Mets' greatest chance now at 57 and 55 and still, still in the heart of that pennant race in the National League East. It's the offense that has to carry the load. They did that on Wednesday. They picked up the pitching staff, which they haven't done all year. And the other thing that you loved is they just showed a lot of, a lot of grittiness, a, a lot of fight. They showed a lot of fight in this game. And that's something that's also been absent lately. And, and look, it's hard to judge, you know, grittiness or, or fight. And I know these are words that uh, the analytics community absolutely despises, which I could care less what they despise. But my point is there's a large sector of people who run baseball that don't even factor those things in. But they are a factor. But it's hard to quantify that because when you look at a team that's going down meekly day after day after day, are, are they not showing fight or are they just simply in – a rut at the plate and not producing offensively. Usually not hitting and not scoring runs leads to a team looking like it's got no heart or it's got no fight. So it's hard to decipher which is which. Is it just a bad hitting team and they really are trying hard or do they get down early, lose confidence in themselves and not fight out of a hole? Well, whatever it's been, they fought in this game on Wednesday, and they absolutely needed to because as I pointed out last night on this show, the schedule after tomorrow is ridiculous. Their next four series, two home, two away, out west on the west coast, their next four series are against the two best teams in the National League, the Dodgers and the Giants. They've got a series with each of them at City Field, and then they've got a series with each of them on the West Coast. And that's going to take up the next two weeks of the season. So you've got to bank as many wins against the likes of the Nationals as you can. And for a while today, it didn't look like they were going to do that. And they would have dropped back to 500, and they really would have been in dire straits. And the Nationals, for them, it was a parade late in this game of young, unproven arms out of that bullpen. Guys who... They're trying to develop now that they've sold off Scherzer and Turner and their big names and are clearly in a rebuilding phase right now in Washington. They gave the Mets every single chance they could have. And on top of that, the Mets did need a gift error by the first baseman to allow the tying run to score before Brandon Drury's huge eventual game-winning base hit. But whatever it takes, because the Mets needed to show some fight, they needed to show some offensive punch, and more than anything, they just needed to stop the bleeding. And big days from Brandon Nimmo with two hits and Jeff McNeil with two hits, Pete Alonzo with three, including one that pulled the Mets within a run in the seventh inning. J.D. Davis had a couple of hits. And then Brandon Drury comes up late as a pinch hitter in the eighth inning with the score tied at seven and loops one over the drawn-in infield. That finds just enough grass to score the eventual game-winning run. Edwin Diaz has an uneventful ninth inning, and everything's good right now. And everything's and you know what? Everything's not bad right now for the Mets. You just need that one game to point you in the other direction. Now, if they go out tomorrow and they split a disappointing doubleheader against Washington, or God forbid they get swept, then everything I'm saying right now means absolutely nothing. But you do need that one game just to 
stop the bleeding a little bit because it's been rough. It's been a rough month of August. So right now, here the Mets are two games above 500. They're 57 and 55. They're a game and a half behind the Phillies, uh, and they're a game behind the Braves. So they're in third place in their division. The wild card is is really not a factor. So Met fans, as you look at the standings every day, and I know you know this, but uh, you know with the Yankees. Yeah, you're keeping an eye on Tampa Bay and you're keeping an eye on Boston and where you are in relation to them. But for the Yankees, the, the most important thing to keep an eye on right now is Oakland and that wild card race. The Mets have no such luxury. All right. For the Mets, unless something changes drastically. All right. It's the National League East or bust. And, and fortunately for the Mets, the National League East is, is it the worst division? Yeah, it's the worst division in baseball. It's absolutely the worst division in baseball. Now, you do have three teams above 500, but the Phillies are barely above 500. They have flaws. The Braves are barely above 500. They're missing their best player and have flaws. The Mets, we know, have flaws right now. Washington is in a rebuilding phase, and Miami's not there yet. So you're in the right division if it's going to be division or bust. Huge win for the Mets. Come from behind fashion. Good job with the bats. Picking up the pitching because that's what it's going to be. This was not a bad hitting team last year or the year before. In recent years, the Mets have had an above average lineup. They have all the same guys plus some reinforcements this year. They should be better than they have in years past. Is there time over the last month and a half for them? I don't know. You know, for them to round into form and be what they were expected to be. That's tough to say because we've had four and a half months of evidence that maybe this just isn't their season. But there's got to be some sort of a middle ground. They can't be as bad as they've been, especially over the last month, month and a half of the season. So great signs in this win uh, at City Field on Wednesday. And again, the second game, as it was getting started, uh, the skies just opened up some crazy thunder, some crazy lightning in the uh, New York City area. So they're basically going to do tomorrow what they intended to do today. Tomorrow is supposed to be one game at 12 o'clock. Instead, it's going to be another doubleheader starting at 12 o'clock, each game seven innings long. Yankees, again, five to two winners. So they win another series in Kansas City. And and similar situation for the Yankees because the schedule is about to get a lot tougher. They're about to take on the team who I think is the best team in the American League. I know all the focus is on this really awesome game they're playing tomorrow night at the Field of Dreams Park in Iowa. But the fact of the matter is the Yankees are in a pennant race. They're playing the White Sox, who record-wise, they have the third-best record in the American League, but they're 10 games in front in the American League Central. They have pitching. they got an all-star pitcher going tomorrow. They've got hitting. So the Yankees had to bank this win as depleted as they are in Kansas City, and they took care of business as well. So we're going to talk a lot about both of these games, both of these teams in their current situations. Uh, want to hear from you, 1-800-919-3776, 1-800-919-ESPN. The Knicks make it official. Kemba Walker is coming home. He is now the starting point guard, we assume the starting point guard, for the New York Knicks, the Bronx, Rice High School in Harlem, UConn, Heroics at the Big East Tournament, National Championship, four-time NBA All-Star, All-NBA player, still in his early 30s, two seasons removed from starting in the NBA All-Star game. But it's been a long season and a half for Kemba Walker 
since that happened. We'll get into that as well and also check in on the Giants and Jets. Pat O'Keefe in for Gordon and Larry on ESPN New York Tonight. All right, it's ESPN New York tonight. Pat O'Keefe in for the guys. Winning baseball day in New York. A couple of afternoon games. Yanks out in Kansas City take care of the Royals 5-2 in a bullpen day. The Mets come from behind in the conclusion of the suspended game from yesterday to beat the Nationals late 8-7. Game two of today's doubleheader postponed. Doubleheader tomorrow at City Field. Mets will look to take advantage of the uh, soft spot in their schedule tomorrow before uh, a couple of heavy hitters on the other side of the diamond, the Giants and the Dodgers. That's straight ahead on their schedule. 1-800-919-3776. Let's go to the phones. Let's lead things off with Ronnie checking in from New York. Ronnie, what's up? Pat. I just want to talk about the greatest comeback story in New York right now. You're talking about the New York Yankees. I mean, when we heard Gary Cole go down, you thought all was shot to rock bottom. Now, Jameson Tyone, who is pitcher of the month, starts stepping up. The bats start awakening. We start winning close games again. I mean, this team, it's a new team. It's rejuvenated. It's reviled. It's, it's almost as if all those injuries in the beginning of the season gone to waste. New team, new season. They're going to make a run. Playoff, here we come. Thanks, Pat. Ronnie, thanks for the call. I'll tell you where this began for me for the Yankees. It was right after the All-Star break, and that's when the COVID cases started to creep up. Remember, the Yankees and Red Sox were supposed to play a standalone game on Thursday night right out of the All-Star break. Uh, Aaron Judge, I, I somebody else, I'm not going to say a name because that's not fair, uh, were on the COVID-19 list that night and missed significant amount of time. And, and over time, more and more names have been added to that COVID-19 list. The Yankees postponed their game on Thursday because of that. They played on Friday at the stadium against the Red Sox and were absolutely listless, losing 4 to nothing. And remember, the game before the All-Star break was that Awful loss in Houston when Jose Altuve hit the walk-off three-run home run in the bottom of the ninth when the Yankees were on the verge of sweeping the Astros on the road. So you had that game, you had the all-star break, you get Judge and a couple of other guys contracting COVID or being placed on the COVID-19 list, and then you lose to the Red Sox 4 to nothing, and everybody thought that was it, right? That was it. And then the next night, it was a Saturday night, it was a national TV game. It was a Fox game. Garrett Cole was on the mound. Nathan Evaldi was on the mound. And I'm watching this Yankees lineup. And they had Tim LaCastro, the kid from Ithaca College, starting in left field. They had Greg Allen starting in center field. But I'll tell you, what I loved about watching some of these guys was it was it was kind of stunning to see like Greg Allen a guy who could run, who could field his position, who didn't look as stiff as a two-by-four. It was so weird to see athletic people. LaCastro, and unfortunately he injured himself in that game making a catch in left field, but he's an athletic guy too. It was jarring to me to see athletic guys in a Yankee uniform, frankly, because we hadn't seen that in a while. You get so used to the muscle-bound Stanton, Voigt, Sanchez... Judge. I mean, these guys are all monsters, but it seems like half the time they can't get out of a chair without pulling a muscle. And when you talk about style of play, God forbid 
the Yankees, who we had to watch day in and day out the first three months of the season, you know, God forbid you go first to third on a base hit to right field. I mean, it was literally station to station to station baseball. And then, you know, you bring up this this Greg Allen guy, and, and now it's Jonathan Davis in center field, and you watch him chase down a fly ball um, with, with, with ease at the warning track. And it's impressive, A, and B, not something we're used to seeing. Joey Gallo is an athlete. Anthony Rizzo is an athlete. But for me, it started right after the All-Star break when the Yankees shook off that 4 nothing loss. They ended up winning that series against the Red Sox. And since then, other than the one four-game series in Fenway where they had a couple of meltdowns in that series, they haven't lost a series since the All-Star break. And they're not sweeping. The Yankees have had this weird thing this year where I don't know how many times they're on the verge of sweeping a series, whether it's a three-game series or a four-game series, but they're on the verge of sweeping a series, and they always seem to lose that last game. They just did it on Sunday. They won the first three games against Seattle, but then they couldn't finish the four-game sweep, losing Sunday's game at Yankee Stadium. But still, they're not overwhelming teams. They're not blowing teams out, but they're winning series. And then, as our last caller just pointed out, the injuries start creeping up again, and the COVID-19 uh, list starts to get longer. And so Garrett Cole has now landed there, and Jordan Montgomery has now landed there, and Gary Sanchez has landed there. Today, Clay Holmes landed there. And if you look at the Yankees right now, combined injured list, just you know your traditional injuries and COVID-19 injury list, there are 20 Yankees on the injured list right now. It's unbelievable. So what they're doing is extremely impressive. You, you can't make too big of a deal about it, though, because, again, my point earlier, they were so underwhelming the first two and a half, three months of the season that they eliminated their margin for error. So, yeah, it's great. You would love to see these guys who they have out there now, Andrew Velasquez, the kid from the Bronx who went to Fordham Prep, um... Brantley, Rob Brantley, the catcher who threw out Whit Merrifield on the bases today. These guys that are getting their opportunities, let alone the pitching rotation, Lucas Lidke making the start, Alex Abreu out of the bullpen. I mean, you look at these guys, you'd say, all right, if they could just play 500 baseball until the big guys come back, that would be great. They don't have that luxury. They need to keep winning series after series after series. And you know what? Right now they are. Now, is it sustainable over the last month and a half of the season? It's hard to say that it is, but... At some point, the big guys do have to come back. At some point, you're going to get Garrett Cole back, and you're going to get Gary Sanchez back, and you're going to get Jordan Montgomery back. And then the injured guys starting to come back, Corey Kluber and Luis Severino's not far away, Domingo Herman. I mean, it goes on and on and on. But the fact that they're still winning series, A, having turned things around pretty much 180 degrees from how they played the first half of the season, and then B, on top of that, the added challenge of it seems like every day – Another Yankee or two is out of the lineup. Glaber Torres, of course, recently as well. 1-800-919-3776. Back to the phones. Hammer in the Bronx. What's going on, Hammer? Hey, Pat. How are you? Thanks I'm all good. How you call. doing? I'm good, man. Stuck at work doing a 16-hour in a hospital, but I'm maintaining. Wanted to talk about the Mets. Um, I know going into the season, a lot of people are optimistic, especially with the new ownership of Steve Cohen, and people need to take into consideration, and I'm not sure if the general public, let alone Mets fans, truly know this, but the only reason Cohen even got the approval by all the other owners 
was the simple fact that he promised them in year one not to break the luxury tax threshold, which people have been going nuts about. They didn't spend money. They didn't get Springer. They didn't get Hand. They didn't get this person. They didn't get, get that person. We have Lindor on a 10-year deal. I think that this year has been kind of rough for him as he's transitioning into the National League, but I truly believe him coming back into the uh, lineup within the next week or two, hopefully, if things are going to turn around. I'm definitely very happy with the win tonight. Definitely, I feel that they had an outing, again, something not too many people know about. They had an outing on their day off on Monday, two different things that the team did together. And I think that was probably something that was very much needed, especially playing 26 games in 24 days. Had they played game two tonight, that would have been 27 in 24 days. We are going to see a bounce back. It's been difficult with Carrasco being out majority of the season. He just came back, had three starts so far. DeGrom being in and out of the lineup with the injuries, I'm really hoping that he does not get shut down and comes back in September. Hopefully that'll be a major leg up for us. Syndergaard coming back, putting him in the bullpen. The Mets fans right now, in the words of Aaron Rodgers, need to R-E-L-A-X, relax. We're going to turn this around. Everybody's on Rojas as well. There's another situation with Rojas. When Steve Cohen took over, they asked, the media asked, are you going to keep Rojas as your manager? The door was open. There's also reports out there now when it comes to the head of baseball operations that the Mets and Steve Cohen are, in fact, looking for a big name, and one name that has been tied to it is Theo Epstein. If we get Theo Epstein, things could definitely turn around in a major way. We had the issues with Jared Porter. Now we have Zach Scott as the, uh, the new GM for the time being. But I think bringing in somebody like Theo Epstein – adding Baez in the, by the trade deadline was great. They could have made other moves, but you know what? We're in a slump right now. I think we bounced back tonight with that win. Things are looking up. We can still, we still can climb back month and a half out, either finish first place or be in second place and get a wild card spot. Thanks for taking my call. I really appreciate it. Hammer, thanks for the call. Good call. I mean, the only thing I disagree with at the end or, or stay in second place and get a wild card spot, I don't see that as an option. Right now, the second wild card team is San Diego. And what what are the Mets behind them? Nine and five. The Mets are seven games behind San Diego. So I don't see the Mets running them down. But everything else, I don't disagree with Hammer. I mean, he, he paints a rosy picture. For me, it's simple. For the Mets to do anything this season – it comes down to one person. We we all know who it is. He is the best at what he does in the entire sport, and that's Jacob DeGrom. But here we are on August 11th. Can you get DeGrom back by September 10th and have him for a good three weeks to finish the season? What can you do in three weeks? You can make four starts. And where are you in the standings? if and when you get DeGrom back for those final three weeks? Are you in striking distance to make a run? Because all you got to do is get into the tournament. If the Mets get into the tournament and DeGrom is right, and you know now you're starting to hear Syndergaard come into, or see him come into focus a little bit more, and he could be part of the equation, more likely out of the bullpen than in the rotation. But think about him as a bullpen arm in the postseason. The bullpen, for the most part, has not been bad this season. You know, Diaz has had a couple of blips on the radar. But really, if you look at Edwin Diaz, after his just disastrous year one, when he was the biggest reason why the Mets were not in contention for a playoff spot that season, he really hasn't been that bad the last two years. I mean, closer's a tricky position. 
You know, show me a closer in baseball today who gets it done all the time. So my point is the Mets' bullpen hasn't been that bad. Their lineup is starting to hit. Their pitching rotation now has not been good. Now, is it just a matter of Carrasco needs more reps? I mean, he missed a lot of time. He missed half a season before joining the rotation. Is it as simple as that? What Taiwan Walker are we going to see for the final month and a half of the season? Is it the 2.5 ERA guy who is named to the all-star team? Or is it the guy who's pitched to a 9 ERA ever since the start of July? And then, of course, I continue to go back to the same name. The biggest and most important piece is Jacob DeGrom. Because you need him. It's a two-pronged effect for DeGrom. You need to get him back in time to help carry you to the playoffs. And then, again, if he's right and you're in the playoffs, man, man. But this is a good start for the Mets today. An excellent start. Down 4-1, to one, battling back um, a couple of times, especially late. Alonzo pulls them within a run in the seventh inning. They're unable to score him, even though he was in scoring position with one out. And, you know, Conforto didn't come through. Dom Smith didn't come through. And you, you start to, you know, throw your hands in the air again and, and become exasperated. And then they get the gift in the bottom of the eighth inning with the throwing error to tie the game. And then Brandon Drury came up big seven. I think was he had seven go-ahead hits late this season for Brandon Drury. That's an incredible number for somebody who's played as little as he has. So, Louis Rojas, who our last caller alluded to, I think Louis done a fine job. I was actually surprised they brought him back at the beginning of the season. I, I thought there was an opportunity, kind of clean slate, last year, 60-game season, nothing seemed to go right. But overall, I think Louis Rojas, in his first full season as the Mets manager, has done a good job, and he reflected on the very important resiliency shown by the Mets hitters. Yeah, I mean, I think it shows who who we are as an offensive team. Um and I know we haven't we haven't shown up to be like this offensively, but these guys have hit like this uh, in, in their careers. And just it's just good to see some of the good swings that these guys are putting there repeatedly. Whether it's a swing and miss, whether it's a foul ball, whether it's a ball that's hard hard hit in play, uh, we saw a lot of that. I like the conviction behind the swings that we took out there today. It was good to see that repeatedly. Um, it shows the hard work that these guys have been putting just to get into. Um, this, you know, and connect uh, just quality of bats and hard contacts one after the other. These guys can do that, and we've always trusted that they could. And, you know, it's just been tough to watch uh, at, at times uh, just for the number of days that we weren't doing what we did uh, uh, tonight, starting last night, because we had some good hard hits uh, in that first inning against Espino. It's just great to see. So, you know, we just got to gotta. gotta Keep believing in it, you know. That's who that's who we are, and just just got to keep going game to game with the same approach. And I loved it. These guys are resilient. I mean, they're always they they always think they're gonna come back in the game, but this is the one piece that they were missing, and it was good to see it. All right, so you know, in the middle of that, Pete Alonso, and it was a suspended game. So last night in the first part of the game, Alonso had a big double. Uh, as the Mets scored a run in the first inning in the rain yesterday. And then he adds two more hits today to finish three for five in the game as a whole, including again that RBI to make it eight to six in the seventh inning, or to make it, uh, excuse me, seven to six, Washington in the seventh inning. And Rojas was asked about his uh, slugging first base and if he noticed a mental switch in Pete Alonso today. Yeah, he does a good job of that. Uh, this kid is very positive with himself. Uh, and he was, he was very positive with everyone around him. Uh, 
And I think he's able to make some adjustments like that. He was a no 0 for 19, and then he shows up and goes three for five. He killed the ball. I, I don't think, I don't think I haven't seen somebody hit a foul ball at like at 115 and then hit a double at 112 or something next pitch, like uh, locked in or a single next pitch, uh, locked in. So looking good. I thought his fastball mentality was a lot better than what we saw in Philly. He was killing the fastball, and it was he was able to hunt a slider, and that's what he got in his last at bat. So, guys are going to play that little game if they catch up to the fastball like they did in this game. So it's good to see that. Last two games, Pete Alonso looked absolutely locked in at the plate. So, whereas you hope the Mets can build on this, the Mets offense can build on this, and foremost among the Mets offensive players, Pete Alonso, can he build on this? Because he was struggling, he looked locked in last night in his one at bat and the remainder of the game today leading to an 8-7 come-from-behind Mets win. Uh, we'll get into more on this game and, and the Mets' myriad injuries and, and how they can continue to try to overcome them. And we'll also get into what the Yankees did on Wednesday afternoon, wrapping up another series victory, this time in Kansas City. It's Pat O'Keefe in for Gordon and Larry on 98.7 ESPN New York. All right, Pat O'Keefe back with you on ESPN New York tonight. Uh, So the Yankees gained some ground on the Tampa Bay Rays, despite the Rays putting up seven runs in the top of the ninth inning at Fenway Park. With those seven runs, they came up just short of the Boston Red Sox. Boston squeaks out a 20-8 victory over Tampa Bay, and that's with the Rays scoring seven runs in the ninth. So, that obviously means mathematicians out there. The Red Sox led 20-1 to entering the ninth inning. Can you imagine the feeling at Fenway Park? Look, the Red Sox are 2-8 and eight in their last 10. Uh, the Yankees are right on their heels now. They're kind of falling out of the AL East division race. They're up 20-1 to entering the ninth inning. I can imagine the feeling in Fenway Park as the Rays are putting five, six, seven runs on the scoreboard in the top of the ninth inning. It, it probably reminded me of that movie from uh, that scene from from the movie Fever Pitch when uh, the Reds. It was the other way around. The Yankees had a seven-one run lead over the Red Sox, and the Red Sox came back to win in the ninth inning. But they do hold on to win twenty to eight. Uh, also of note tonight, uh, Brewers and Cubs. Uh, Milwaukee's on top, eight nothing. Uh, Corbin Burns, all-star pitcher for the Brewers. Uh, tying a major league record that originally was held by Tom Seaver um, is uh, now uh, co-owned by Aaron Nola of the Phillies, who tied it against the Mets earlier this season, striking out 10 consecutive batters in a game. The streak is over because the 11th consecutive batter lined out. Uh, But now it's Nola and it's Seaver. And it's Burns. Three all-star uh, hurlers, uh, obviously Seaver, the best among them, now sharing that all-time record of uh, 10 consecutive strikeouts in a game. But Burns has gone eight shutout innings, has 14 strikeouts for the Brewers as they lead the Cubs 8-0. Um, to nothing. All right, 1-800-919-3776. Yankees win, Mets win. Mets snap their four-game losing streak, pick up their second win during the month of August. Uh, let's head back to the phones. Eric checking in from Staten Island. What's up, Eric? What's going on? Uh, there was a caller about 10 minutes ago that um, 
you know, Mr. Positive about the Mets. Oh, yeah. And Rosie. Javi Rosie Baez, picture. Javi Baez has been great. The guy's been nothing but brutal since we got him. I think, well, hold on, hold on, real quick. Hold on, hold on. I, I think he said, I heard him say the pickup was great. So I think the jury can still be out on that. But clearly he hasn't been great, in fairness to the caller. Yeah, I, I, I think personally the Mets failed the trade deadline. They were desperate to make a move, and they got pretty much the worst guy out there. What would you have they liked have to have seen their, them do? They should have, they should have addressed their, They should have addressed their starting pitching. Their bullpen needed help. They needed outfielders. But, you know, the pressure was on to make a move, so they got this guy. And they're probably going to sign him, and it's, this is not going to work out for them. Well, it was interesting because, you know, a week before they traded for Javi Baez, he had said that the one guy he would move to second base for, of course, was to play alongside Francisco Lindor, kind of, you know, piquing the Mets' interest or wetting their appetite, if you will. Look, the last couple of years, I haven't been a huge Javi Baez fan. You know, he's an exciting player. Um, You know, he's got a lot of home runs this season. But just the day-in, day-out production and consistency really hasn't been there. To me, the Javi Baez acquisition, it seems like a little redundancy with Francisco Lindor and not in a good way. I agree. That's all I got to say. Have a good day. Thanks for the call, Eric. It is. I mean, look, the Lindor thing hasn't worked out. And look, it's going to get better because he's been brutal. I honestly don't see it getting a lot better, though. And I've never been a big Baez guy, you know? I mean, it's it's funny that that 2016 Cubs group, who, I mean, Rizzo with the Yankees, what did he play? Four or five games before being placed on the COVID-19 list. He was awesome in four or five games, but let's wait to see a little bit more. I mean, he was a, a 250 hitter with 14 home runs when the Yankees picked him up. Chris Bryant was the MVP uh, in 2016. He hasn't been the same level of player over the last five years. Baez never quite reached the heights that were expected of him. And agree, I, I agree with our last call. I think out of the three of them, the three you know big names that the Cubs moved at the trade deadline, I think the Mets did end up with the worst one. The Mets also did address their starting pitching. Um, they traded for Rich Hill, who now they need more from Rich Hill than what they wanted. Because at the time of the Rich Hill move, I really liked it because it was basically adding depth to a rotation that was starting to be besieged by injuries. And this is really before you knew how long Jacob deGrom was going to be out. But you looked at the Rich Hill signing, or excuse me, trade, the acquisition of Rich Hill, and you figure, okay, deGrom will be back soon. We've got Taiwan Walker, couple of bad starts, but for the most part an all-star this season. Marcus Stroman has been really good. Let's just add some depth to the bottom of the rotation, allow Carlos Carrasco to come back, and let's see where we are. Well, now deGrom's not anywhere in sight at least for a month, we think. Taiwan Walker has been bad. Carlos Carrasco has not been good. Now, all of a sudden, you need Rich Hill to be more than just a 41-year-old who adds depth to your starting rotation. And he wasn't up to that task today at all. The Mets offense having to bail him out. The, The trade deadline thing for the Mets is complicated, though, because you have to understand they don't have a lot of assets in their farm system. Because of the previous regime. I mean, Brody Van Wagen in the two years that he was in New York was very much a play-for-the-moment kind of general manager. I mean, the Edwin Diaz and Robinson Cano trade reflects that more than anything. Giving up Jared Kelenic. Justin Dunn is gone. 
Now Pete Crow Armstrong is gone. There's really not much in terms of high-end talent in the Mets farm system. Now the first go-round, Sandy Alderson did a really good job building that up. He's less than a year on the job in round two, but he need that's got to be one of his top priorities. But it's funny, you know, the, the 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 calls on Steve Cohen, and I got some last night. I mean, boy, the the love affair between the Mets and their billionaire owner seems to be winding down. I'd say because you know it, it was all great in the off season, and when he was on Twitter, and then he was off Twitter. And then he came back on Twitter and the black uniforms and the interaction with the fans and then the olive branch of signing Francisco Lindor to that ridiculous contract on the eve of opening day. Well, you look at the Mets this season, the Lindor contract looks like it's going to you know, follow in the footsteps of Mets acquisitions of the past like Roberto Alomar and Carlos Bayerga, Bobby Bonilla, And then the Mets' injury history rearing his ugly head again. And the injuries have been an issue for the Mets for years. And once again, once again, their season in many ways is being submarined by too many injuries. But a win today, a comfort behind win today against a Washington team they absolutely had to beat. We'll dive into the Yankees when we come back. Also touch on uh, Kemba Walker, officially the point guard of the New York Knicks. Welcome home. It's Pat O'Keefe in for Larry and Gordon on ESPN New York tonight. All right, now don't miss your chance to see the world's top-ranked PGA Tour players in action when they return to Liberty National Golf Club for the Northern Trust, the first event in golf's season-ending FedEx Cup playoffs held August 18th to the 22nd in Jersey City, New Jersey. Secure your tickets at the northerntrust.com and be listening to DCR and the Michael K. Show this Thursday. For your chance to score a pair of tickets, see big names like Dustin Johnson, Patrick Reed, Bryson DeChambeau, and many more. It's going to be the can't-miss event of the summer. Again, you can secure your tickets at thenortherntrust.com. ESPN New York Tonight, Pat O'Keefe with you, uh, 1-800-919-3776. Update on the baseball, Yankees and Mets both win. As far as the Yankees go in the standings, the Red Sox beat the Rays 20-8. to So right now the AL East looks like this. Tampa Bay on top. Boston pulls back within four. And the Yankees are six games out of first place. And they're two games behind second place Boston. The Mets, after their come from behind 8-7 to win over the Nationals, are 57-55. and They snapped their four-game losing streak. At the moment... They're a game and a half behind the Phillies and one game behind Atlanta. However, both of those teams are still in action. Phillies are hosting the Dodgers and trail 5-2 to two in the top of the seventh inning with the Dodgers threatening. The Braves are in extra innings, 10th inning, hosting Cincinnati tied at 5, but Atlanta has runners on second and third and one out. So a little scoreboard watching for the Met fan there but uh, a chance to gain ground on at least one, if not both of the teams ahead of them in the National League East standings. 
For the Yankees, they win another series, a 5-2 to two win over Kansas City after really an ugly, sloppy 8-4 to four loss the night before in which the Yankees committed four errors. Now, the fielding wasn't a whole lot better in this game today because the Yankees committed three errors, but fortunately, they scored enough runs early, and the bullpen did a great job. I mean, a terrific job. It was a bullpen game. Lucas Lidke made the start, his first major league start. He lasted two innings, which is probably more than they could have even hoped. He gave up one run. After that, the rest of the game, the Yankee bullpen allows one run over seven innings. Albert Abreu, Jolie Rodriguez, and then your big three right now with Aroldis Chapman on the shelf. Your big three right now is Chad Green, Jonathan Lewisaga, and Zach Britton. Britton picked up his first save of the season but it was, in fact, Britain coming on in the save situation despite recently going through a really, really rough stretch. And Boone was asked how encouraging it was to see Britain have a bounce-back performance. I thought he threw really well. Um, um, you know, obviously he hits the first guy with two strikes. But after that, you know, his stuff really ticked up. He was up in the midnight. It looked like his sinker was really, really good today. And then he, you know, puts three guys on the ground. Unfortunately, he had to do it a last time to get another double play, but um, yeah, encouraging to see him throwing the ball like that. And hopefully it's, you know, something he can continue to build on. The errors do need to stop. And Rugnet Odor committed a huge error in the bottom of the ninth inning. Boone alluded to it. It was a tailor made double play ball hit to Odor that would have ended the game. And he flipped to Andrew Velasquez covering second base. And it was a terrible exchange got away from Velasquez it extended the game and allowed the tying runner to come to the plate in Carlos Santana but fortunately Britain got another ground ball that's what he does when he's pitching so well induced ground balls with that hard sinker and Santana then grounded into the game ending double play so Britain picking up the save his first of the season Chad Green picked up the win he pitched two shutout innings gave up just one hit and struck out three Green's another guy who has certainly had his ups and downs the latter half of this season. Does Aaron Boone think that Chad Green looked better? Yeah, I thought Greeny threw really well, uh, was efficient. Um, you know, you know, we were a little sloppy behind him where, you know, a couple balls, um, you know, extended them a little bit more. But, yeah, I thought he was really good. How about this, too? And I, I mentioned this earlier in the context of uh, just the athleticism and, and the speed that's in the Yankee lineup these days. And look, I understand that the players I'm about to mention don't have long track records of being highly productive offensive players in the major leagues, but they do bring certain skill sets to the game. Guys like Tyler Wade, Andrew Velasquez, Jonathan Davis. I mean, we know Brett Gardner, as old as he is, he can still run. He's still an above-average runner on the bases, so a lot of speed in the Yankees lineup these days, something that Aaron Boone was asked about. Yeah, it's definitely a different dynamic. And, and when you have a few guys, um, you know, it's, it's a, obviously a, a different element um, that at different times we haven't had. Um, so, you know, w when, when those guys are in there and those guys that are capable of that, um, you know, we try to take advantage. And Wader's done a really good job of that. Tyler Wade stole two bases. Tyler Wade, he's a terrific athlete. I mean, he's he's not a good hitter. And I, I think I've seen enough of Tyler Wade, even though he's in the middle of a hot stretch right now. He just, you wish he could be a consistent hitter in the major leagues. And by consistent, hit 
265. And ironically, because of his recent hot streak, his batting average is up to 262. I just don't see that being sustainable. But he can play a bunch of different positions. He's as fast as anything. He's a really good fielder. I mean, he can do pretty much anything else on the baseball field at a high level except hit the baseball. And unfortunately, that's the problem you keep running into with Tyler Wade because you see him come in as a pinch runner or you see him make a play in the field or run down a ball in the outfield. And you're like, God, this guy's a terrific athlete. And why can't he play more? Because he hasn't been able to hit consistently uh, since coming to the majors. But Wade in the lineup, Andrew Velasquez in the lineup, uh, largely because of the absence of Glaber Torres, who was placed on the injured list after injuring his thumb in Sunday's loss to Seattle. So Boone was asked if there is any update on the Yankees starting shortstop. It's kind of a, it's one of those things that once he's doing a lot better, um, I've texted him both days. I, I haven't talked to him today, but yesterday he, he was pretty encouraged with how he was feeling. It's going to be one of those situations that um, they don't want him doing anything that, until all that pain's out of there. So it's going to be a, that's going to be the determining factor about when he gets ramped up. They don't want him feeling anything because that could lead to a little bit more injury. So it's just going to be kind of a day to day, um, how he progresses, um, you know, how the swelling is and, and how he's, uh, improving. But once he starts going, it needs to be a pain-free situation is what the doctors are saying. All right, so where does that leave the Yankees right now? They're back to 63 and 51, 12 games above 500. Uh, third place in the American League East and third place in the American League wild card race. And Oakland at the moment has actually jumped over Boston. So the A's currently hold the number one wild card position. Boston is number two. So they're the immediate team out in front of the Yankees. Yankees are two games behind the Red Sox, but just one game behind them. In the loss column, Yanks are three games behind the A's in the loss column. Oakland has won five games in a row. They're 8-2 and two in their last 10. So after allowing the Yankees to catch up with them in the standings, they've started to play some very good baseball. And you got to keep your eye right behind the Yankees at Toronto because that Toronto offense, I would put up with any offense in baseball. They are young. They are exciting. They're terrific. And Toronto is tied with the Yankees in the loss column, but they're one full game behind them in the standings. So that's where you sit right now. Yankees have been playing well, 7-3 and three in their last 10, but you need other teams to lose at some point. Right now, only the Red Sox are. A's are 8-2 and two in their last 10. Blue Jays are 7-3. and three. Rays are 7-3. and three. Yankees are 7-3. and three. So you look up, the Yankees didn't gain any ground on any of those three teams in the last 10 games. More on the Yanks, and we'll get into the Knicks coming up next on ESPN New York Tonight. This is ESPN New York Tonight. Here's Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer. All right, it's Pat O'Keefe in for Larry and Gordon once again on this Wednesday. I'll be here the rest of the week. I heard Larry earlier sitting in for Carlin. 1-800-919-3776, the number. Uh, Yankees-Mets both win on Wednesday. Mets, uh, well, both important wins. They're both in pennant races and, and both have ground to make up. The Mets, uh, trailing 4-1 to one early, uh, come from behind late to pull out an 8-7 to seven win uh, at home against the Nationals. And the Yankees, a 5-2 to two win over Kansas City 
getting a really, really good performance out of their bullpen. Six different Yankee pitchers uh, combining to hold the Royals to two runs. Yankees win that series two out of three. And now for the Yankees, it's on to this really, really cool event tomorrow night. It was supposed to happen last year in the cornfields of Iowa, the Field of Dreams game between the Yankees and the Chicago White Sox. And, I mean, you talk about a made-for-TV event. I'm very, very excited to see this. First of all, the setting for the game tomorrow is the setting of one of my favorite, not not sports movies, you know, one of my favorite movies of all time, Field of Dreams. It came out in 1989. I was 10 years old. I remember seeing the movie in the theater with my dad the little theater in Bronxville, New York, for those of you in Westchester who know the theater I'm talking about. Um, and, you, you know, 10 years old, you're, you're kind of just entering your prime uh, as a baseball fan. You know, this is obviously well before, you know, social media, um, every game being available on television. It was before interleague play. I mean, it was before I even, as a Yankee fan growing up, it was before I even had the opportunity to see the Yankees play in a playoff game. It was before the wild card. I mean, that's whenever Field of Dreams is on, you know, the story is great. Obviously, you know, the the lessons in the movie, the connection between Kevin Costner and his father at the end is an extremely emotional scene. It's just... It strikes all the right chords for me. But for me also, it does always kind of take me back to a a simpler time as a baseball fan where, you know, there was something charming about not every single piece of information being available at your fingertips at all moments of the day. And sitting, cramming yourself in, in, in a seat at Fenway Park and keeping score of the game, which obviously you can still do. And and we got Jake and Brian with us tonight doing a great job producing the show. And Jake brought up to me earlier, and I think he posted something on Twitter about this, is this your favorite baseball movie, Field of Dreams? And it's appropriate to discuss this right now because – you know, this especially in the last 20 years, there have been a lot of sports movies, you know, back 20, 30 years ago. You know, there were some really, really good ones, but there weren't the quantity of sports movies that there are now. But baseball, I think, has always kind of been the one genre of sports movie uh, that has had the most quality in it. Um, you know, Field of Dreams for me is my favorite Um Obviously, Major League is an extremely popular movie. First of all, I love I love them all. The Natural, which was from the 1980s, uh, was a really good and popular movie. Um, Bull Durham, also from around that time, also starring Kevin Costner. I, I really liked For Love of the Game, which came out, I think, around like 97, 98. Uh, I, I liked the interaction of Kevin Costner as the pitcher in that movie with his teammates and kind of interweaving uh, the personal stories of what was going on in his life and, and just kind of getting a glimpse of what he's thinking about out there on the mound. Um, what do you guys think, Jake and Brian? I mean, b- baseball movies for you. And I, look, I know that uh, I'm the old man here in the group. I'm the only one who watched Field of Dreams in the theater in 1989 because you two guys likely weren't born yet. But what is your favorite baseball movie? 
Um, there's definitely a lot. And as you mentioned, I did tweet out before um, a question saying, is Field of Dreams the best baseball movie of all time? If not, what is? And there were a lot of responses. A lot of the movies that you said, um, personally, growing up, my favorite baseball movie was The Sandlot, which had a lot of responses saying that The Sandlot, obviously, it's somewhat of a kid's movie. But I think even as an adult, uh, it's still a great movie and a great baseball movie. Another movie that a lot of people mentioned, which is also one of my favorites, is A League of Their Own with Tom Hanks and Gina Davis, which is just a very funny and just classic movie. It's funny you mention that. I took my family to the Yankee game on Sunday. Uh, My daughter's nine, my son is seven, and my wife is wearing a Yankees t-shirt. And on the back, it says, there's no crying in baseball. So my son asked her what that meant, and I said, we got to go home and watch this. So we came home for the Yankee game on Sunday and I showed them a league of their own for the first time. I, I hadn't seen that movie in 20 years. It is a great movie. I had that on my list here as well. I wanted to make special mention of that because I had just recently seen it, you know, but the, you know, the, the, the beauty of all these that we're talking about, they all kind of, you know, offer something different. You know, major league is just hilarious and, and raunchy. Um, Obviously, Field of Dreams has the whole emotional storyline and the connection with his father. I was also infatuated at the time, just kind of as a kid who was always interested in baseball history. Around that time in my life, I was just interested in the story of Shoeless Joe Jackson. I mean, it was unfathomable to me. It was right around the time that Pete Rose would end up being banned. But it was unfathomable to me that at the time, the guy, well, I shouldn't say at the time, I think he still has the third highest batting average in Major League Baseball history, wasn't in the Hall of Fame. Eight Men Out is another that I liked that kind of told the story of how Shoeless Joe Jackson isn't in the Hall of Fame. So let let me know what you think. 1-800-919-3776. Baseball movies. Is, Is Field of Dreams the best one? And if not, what is your favorite baseball movie? Let's go to Charlie and Elmhurst. Charlie, what do you got? Hey, Pat. Uh, good evening. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? So before I talk to the Yankees, I'm, uh, I just tune in and like, talk about baseball movies and everything. And in terms of like, I won't say best baseball movie, but in terms of like, I have the most important baseball movie uh, in terms of most important baseball movie in my lifetime is 42. I mean, mm-hmm. the fact that Jack, Jackie Robinson is such a pioneer and most important figure in American history and how he, you know, came up in the major leagues. I think that was so important. The fact that uh, I saw it in the, the, during the Yankee games, like, uh, other than um, Field of Dreams and what prior the Yankees, um, the, 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 the trivia question, the fact that Field of Dreams, uh, I, I'm going to I cannot stand Moneyball. I mean, in terms of different reasons for another day. And prior to the Yankees are the only three movies that have been nominated for Best Picture for baseball movies. I think in terms of uh, my importance, 42, uh, uh, Chadwick Boseman is awesome, playing Jackie Robinson, God Rest in Soul. Uh, in terms of that, that's my, uh, in terms of like, favorite but like also more the most important baseball movies of all time i thought i i loved 42 and i don't go to the theater that often um and, and i and i drag my wife to the theater even less often because she doesn't like to go but that that might have been actually the last movie i saw in the movie theater i wanted to make sure i got to see that right away i was excited when that came out i remember 
uh, doing an interview with Ralph Branca uh, around that time, and he was, uh, you know, portrayed in that movie as obviously one of the the teammates who welcomed Jackie Robinson to the Dodgers and was portrayed, you know, uh, very thoughtfully in that movie. And and he had such wonderful things to say about Jackie and uh, their relationship together. So that was, and and again, Chadwick Boseman, uh, you know, tragic that he passed last year around this time, actually. Um, But yeah, he was phenomenal in that movie, Charlie. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. I think he should have been nominated for Oscar, but I don't know why. But in terms of uh, switch to the Yankees, uh, uh, it's nice to win this team winning series, but this, yeah, but I'm right disappointed. When I when they lost Rizzo on Sunday, I mean, Mike, before losing Rizzo, my, you know, confidence meter from scale of 1 to 10, I was like, you know, 6 to between 6 to 7. No Rizzo, it's like less than 3. And I don't care what Luke Foy does. Uh, Rizzo, once Rizzo comes back, uh, he has to play. Uh, and whatever Luke Foy's doing, especially good things, because I, I'm, I'm, to be honest, I can't stand this dude no more. I'm like, I have, I'm like, I'm jump off his fan club or whatever out of people out there supporting Luke Foy. I'm off that bandwagon. I totally can't stand this dude because defensively, he's a sloppy butcher. Uh, I mean, you can. I mean, first inning, you got a base hit right there. But like, come on, anybody can run at the base hit. Come on. Uh, but in terms of whatever he does going forward, it's like audition for you know whatever. I mean, I mean, trade him into other 2019 because I don't see Luke Foy with the f- future uh, with the Yankees. Well, yeah, I mean, his, his future. His future, obviously, there's a lot of question marks now, Charlie. And thanks for the call. I mean, look when Anthony Rizzo comes back and is healthy and ready to play again, the first base job is his, except the, unless Luke Voigt goes on a tear, look, it's late in the season. There's no margin for error. As I keep saying, Rizzo was terrific in his first week as a Yankee, but it's not like Luke Voigt's a guy without accomplishments. Now, if Luke Voigt doesn't go on a tear, the job is Rizzo's. He'll come back. He'll regain his first base position. I will say this though. I mean, don't forget, I know it was 60 games. Luke Voigt led the major leagues in home runs last season. Luke Voigt's only problem in 2019, 2020, well, he had no problems in 2020. He was great. But his only problem really over the last three years has been his inability to stay healthy. I mean, he got hurt the latter half of 2019, and that was a huge loss from the Yankees lineup, and he hasn't been able to be healthy this season. He just had a big series in Kansas City. He's from Missouri. He went back home. He had that big hit today. He had a home run in the first game of the series. He had a big, um, he had a big series here. I, I, you know, you lose Anthony Rizzo, and the day you lose him to COVID nineteen protocols, Luke Voigt is activated from the injured list. I don't know many major league teams that have that kind of depth. One eight hundred nine one nine three seven seven six. Favorite sports movies. Favorite baseball movies. Yankees playing at Field of Dreams. Uh, at the Field of Dreams in Dyersville, Iowa, against the White Sox tomorrow night. I I think I, I'm very much looking forward to the broadcast of that. I'm sure they're going to, you know, play up all the the history of that field, the farmhouse that's right next door to where they're going to be playing the corn stalks. By the way, there was a youth baseball team 
They're called the Dream Highlanders from New York City. They used to be the Harlem RBI program. Now they've changed their name to the Dream Highlanders. Tonight, they actually played a game against a team from Chicago. That game was on the actual field that they shot the movie on. I was watching the beginning of the game. I don't think the New York kids won because it was 7 nothing Chicago in the first inning. But this kid from Chicago in the first inning actually hit a grand slam into the cornstalks. There's no home run fence there. It's the Now, the Yankees and White Sox tomorrow are going to be playing on a different field that's right next to that field. It's a bigger field that was built just for this Major League Baseball game. But the kids played on the actual field that Kevin Costner and Ray Liotta and all those guys played on. And this kid hits a grand slam into the cornstalks tonight. It was unbelievable. All right, let's get back to our conversation of favorite baseball movies. Let's go to uh, Paul in D.C. Paul, what's going on? How are you doing? Evening. Uh, I'm not even a baseball fan, but uh, the best baseball movies, they're natural. The the storytelling in that, it, it, it's magical. It's everything you want in art. It makes you laugh, think, and cry. And I, I can't get out of the house uh, if that movie's on television. And quite honestly, I, I, I think baseball is boring. But that baseball movie is, is amazing. Well, that's, love, uh, that's, an important, that's an important opinion you have, Paul, because, you know, anybody who creates content, will, whether it's movies or, or, or you know, the written word or, or video or whatever, will tell you that they're going to appeal to people who are interested in that topic no matter what. But what really separates the great content is what appeals to people who aren't interested. Like, I'll watch any baseball movie. I just listed, like, six good ones. I'll watch The Scout if it's on. And that movie was one of the worst I've ever seen. But that your opinion's important because as a non-baseball fan, yeah, that, that's kind of what people are going for. Because, like, you know, I'll watch yeah. The Natural, too, but I'll watch anything. So that's that's an important opinion, Paul. Yeah, The, the, the Natural just uh, captures me. And, and it just, uh, I mean, it, it, it tugs at, uh, at your heartstrings. And uh, it, it's just great. So thank you for taking my call. Yeah, thanks for checking in. Uh, 1-800-919-3776. We're going to get uh, more opinions on best baseball movie uh, with in light of the fact that the Yankees are playing at the Field of Dreams in Iowa tomorrow. Field of Dreams, my favorite baseball movie. I'll watch anything that's on. Um, I'll watch anything that Kevin Costner's in, sports movie. You know, I, I like Draft Day. Um, I liked American Flyers, underrated bicycling movie from the 1980s. I watched that a bunch growing up as a kid. Costner, obviously, is the king of sports movies, Bull Durham. Um, so your opinions, your thoughts on this as we continue. It's Pat O'Keefe on ESPN New York tonight. All right, we're talking baseball movies, and what is your favorite baseball movie? Is it Field of Dreams? Is that the best baseball movie, or is it something else? Let us know. 1-800-919-3776. Also, the 98.7 ESPN Beach Bash is back Friday, August 20th. Bar A in Lake Como, New Jersey becomes Bar K. Make your plans to head down to the Jersey Shore near Belmar to join the Michael K. Show live from 2 to 6.30 p.m. with special musical guest the Pat Roddy Band and appearance by Willie Wilson. Be listening to the K. Show all this week for your chance to score VIP access. It's all brought to you by Truly Hard Seltzer. 
Samwell Pain Management, The Good Life Transportation Company, Das Breakers, Deep Eddy Vodka, Rutgers Football, Calandra's Bakery, and Yingling Flight. You must be at least 21 years of age to enter. So what is your favorite baseball movie? 1-800-919-3776. I, I still get chills that scene in Field of Dreams when Ray Kinsella ends up going back to 1972 but he doesn't know it yet, but he's starting to suspect it. He looks on the marquee of the movie theater, and it, see, it says that The Godfather is one of this year's best films. Uh, and, and the music, the score that's playing at the time is just really kind of intense. And then he looks across the street, and he sees what he thinks is Dr. Moonlight Graham Burt Lancaster walking across the street with his umbrella as his walking stick. I, I get chills every time I see that. I mean, it, it is just such a, and that's what movies are supposed to be. Um, it's just such an emotional experience watching that movie. And for me, it, when I'm picking my favorite movie, sports movie, baseball movie in this case, for me, it's where was I in my life? Like what a big part of it for me is what was my experience when I watched it for the first time. And for me, Field of Dreams, I was 10 years old. I was just becoming, you know, when you're 10 years old, your whole life is about baseball. You know, my son's seven years old right now, and he's getting there. But I was 10 years old. You know, I could tell you every major league player on every team at that time in my life. I was all about baseball, baseball history, and it had an element of that. And then, of course, you have the the father-son angle at the end where he's able to reconnect with his father at the end with that emotional game of catch. I was in the theater watching that game with my father. So that's all part of it for me, why I like Field of Dreams as my favorite baseball movie. But let me know what yours is. 1-800-919-3776. couple more calls on this. Uh, Albert in the Bronx. How you doing, Albert? Hey, how's it going? All right, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Uh, my favorite baseball movie was For Love of the Game. I like that one a lot. Uh, I, I just love the fact that Kevin Costner, he just played a wonderful role. And uh, my favorite was when he would say, clear the mechanism. Yes. And did. everything would just shut down. That was just so awesome. Yeah, I'd never seen that before. But you always wonder how those pitchers, or, you know, in basketball when you go to the free throw line or whatever, how they're able to get themselves in that zone. And, you know, I'm sure that's not an exact depictment, but it was really an interesting yeah. way of portraying that. Yes, yes. And 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 being a, a lifelong Yankee fan, I've never seen uh, the Yankees get no-hitted or a perfect game. So just the movie alone and then being Detroit, it, it, to me, it was just a great movie for for uh, for me uh, growing up. I, I just love the movie. Yeah, I do too. Thanks for the call, Albert. And you know what else I like too? I I like any movie that shows the old Yankee Stadium because um, that's the that's what I remember. That's my memory of going to games growing up. Going well, to the Pat, old Yankee. Yeah, stadium. one movie that we were going to bring up as well is Sixty One by Billy Crystal, and I know it's obviously. I think they didn't shoot it in the old Yankee Stadium. Right. I think they did a replica of it, but that's another classic old Yankee baseball movie, 61 with Billy Crit. I like Billy that Crystal. one a lot too. You know, and, and again, there's different types of sports movies. Like that that was based on that that was a, a non-fiction sports movie. So was 8 Men Out. I mean, look, they there's some Hollywood liberties taken and everything to, you know, make it a movie, but uh, you know, for love of the game 
Obviously, that was a fictional character, Billy Chapel. They say it was based loosely on um, on Jack Morris, the great Detroit Tigers pitcher from the 1984 World Series. You know, Field of Dreams was based on a novel. Uh, a League of Their Own was loosely based on uh, his, a historical event or a historical league. Um, you know, Major League was, was a comedy, and it was a hilarious comedy, and it was so well done, and it kind of brought you inside the clubhouse and you saw that, you know, unvarnished side of a baseball clubhouse. So th- there's different types of baseball movies. I like them all. 61, obviously, is the historical type as well because it chronicled an event or a season that actually happened. Uh, Brian in New Jersey checking in. Brian, how you doing? Good, man. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. The rookie. Um, with, de- with Dennis Quaid? Yes. Love that movie. I, I, I'm not a, I'm a baseball fan. I'm not a fanatic. Um, but that Dennis Quaid's a great actor first and foremost, and it's based on a true story, which I dig. Um, I like the movie with a relationship between him and his dad uh, that had a, you know, good part in the movie, and they kind of came together at the end. Uh, but def- definitely my favorite uh, baseball movie for sure. You know what I remember about that movie is that, and that was that obviously falls into the you know based on a true story category. But there was the one scene I think he's probably you know he was pitching for the Tampa Bay Devil Rays at the time. Um, you know he, what was it? He was like this guy who was a high school baseball coach who used to throw hard and then lost it, and then one day he starts throwing hard again and he gets the tryout with the Tampa Bay Devil Rays, and somehow he ends up making the team. And I just remember he's like in his thirties. And he's sitting in the bullpen. I think it was in Texas. And he like looks up into the stands, and he like sees his family, and they're like looking at each other, like, "What the hell am I doing here?" You know, it, it, right, it, right. And he's that happened. That actually did happen. At that point. Yeah, definitely. It was cool. Um, I love how he he's coaching the team, his high school team, the kids, and then they get him to start throwing. And uh, it's really cool. I you know I don't know how much of that part of it is true. Um, but it's cool that he, uh, you know, started throwing again, and they were like, wow. <laughs> you know, he's throwing like 90 miles an hour kind of thing, Yeah, which is cool. I'm sure that's how it Good started. Movie. Anyway, Brian, thanks for the call. But then, you know, you go from there. Okay, yeah, you're striking out your high school baseball team, but then to actually get through a professional tryout, especially at your age. I mean, uh, but he was a lefty. He was a hard thrower. Uh, and he made it to the major leagues. I mean, that that is incredible. I mean, when you think about it, because he at one point in his life was a baseball prospect, um, and then he had moved on to this next phase of his life, and then he and that that's one that you would think was, you know, made up story. That was a fictional movie, but it wasn't. It was based on a true story, uh, and Dennis Quaid was really good in that one as well. Uh, so anyway, the Yankees and the White Sox tomorrow. And by the way, it's a big game for the Yankees. I mean, it's a it's a big weekend series. So what they're going to do is, uh, you know, the Yankees had the day game today. They're in Iowa tomorrow, uh, right next to the Field of Dreams, right next to the the field that they shot the movie on. Uh, it'll be a one game at the stadium that they built specifically for this. There's corn stalks beyond the outfield fence. I mean, it's gonna be it's gonna be some scene. I I think. I think Kevin Costner's supposed to be there. I think I read that uh, the guy who played his father in the movie at the end 
is going to be there as well. So I'm sure it's going to be, you know, a big Hollywood presence for this to play up the movie that came out in 1989 that was so popular. Uh, but again, the Yankees need to win this series. They play tomorrow, and then the two teams have a rare off day on Friday, and then they'll head to Chicago uh, to complete the series on Saturday and Sunday. But you got a favorite baseball movie? Let me know what it is. Uh, you know, a couple that we we had that weren't on my list. Uh, I, I think Jake, you were the one who brought up the Sandlot, and, and I love that too. And, and that's a again, great movie. As, as the father, Brian, did we get yours yet? No, I love the Sandlot, but I also love. And nobody has mentioned it. it's kind of like underrated, I guess. Hardball by Keanu Reeves. Oh, okay. Hard, Hardball yeah. is the only movie, not just baseball movie, the only movie ever that has made me cry. It's really, a, it's really good. I, you know, I haven't seen Hardball. It's really good. Interesting. It, it's about a it's like a little league team in Chicago, and he has. <laughs> I don't want to spoil it, but Keanu Reeves has like a, some. Some gambling problems. So sure, really, sure. Yeah, but it's it's really good. So what's the best way to make money when you have a gambling problem? You know, coach a little league team. That usually <laughs> solves all the problems. And two other movies. Well, actually, in the beginning of the show, you mentioned Fever Pitch. And as a Yankee fan, I didn't think I would like that movie, but it's actually a it very, a very good movie. It's a very good movie. And they yeah. actually had to change the entire ending because the Red Sox ended up winning right. the World Series. So right. they had to completely redo the whole ending. But before we go to break, two other movies that I really enjoy. Not sure if you saw either one. One is called Summer Catch with Freddie Prince Jr. and Jessica Biel, which is a great movie. Yes. And another one that I really like is Rookie of the Year, where the little kid breaks his arm. Oh, yeah. That's a classic as well with the Chicago Cubs. And he breaks his arm, and all of a sudden he can throw 100 miles per hour. That's another one that's definitely on the top of my list. And then right after that came out, two years or a year later, was Little Big League, where the 12-year-old boy ends up managing the Minnesota Twins. Again, these are all like right in my wheelhouse now because I watched them all growing up, and now having a 7-year-old, 8-year-old who plays baseball and is all into this, these are all his favorite movies now. Uh, So, you know, I'm kind of, you know, getting to watch them all again. And like I said before... It brings me back to where I was when I saw them the first time, which is a very enjoyable experience. I would recommend it. I mean, you guys haven't been around as long as I have, but it's a very enjoyable experience for somebody my age to go back to when you were 10, 11, 12 years old. And, you know, the the most important thing you had to worry about in a particular day was whether or not the Yankees won or the Knicks won. So uh, let us know. This is ESPN New York Tonight with Larry Hardesty and Gordon Damer on 98.7 ESPN.